Good morning, LCF. Greetings from Alberta. Uh, it would be great if we were together in the same room, um, but uh, it is what it is. Here we are, and uh, we look forward to coming and seeing you guys at some point in the future, whenever that might be. Um, and you are invited to come and see us too. So uh, we've been able to have uh, Paul and Jessica out here a couple of times and their kids. It's been wonderful. So. If you want to come and visit, we'd love to have you come visit here in Alberta. <clears throat> it is a privilege for me to share with you this morning. And uh, I really feel that the word that um, I'm going to be sharing with you is, is really critical in terms of where we're at uh, in our cultural context. I want to talk about identity and purpose. And these are significant themes and topics in our society today. And it goes hand in hand with these ideas of being self-aware, finding yourself, uh, being real and authentic, your self-expression, finding purpose and fulfillment, and even this whole idea of your truth. All of these things kind of go hand in hand. Uh, some of these things are, are uh, um, they're fine. Um, some of them are, are not necessarily in alignment with the scriptures. And so I want to explore a few things today related to identity and purpose and look at what the scriptures actually tell us and how that informs us in these areas. Self-identification is also a huge issue. Uh, people self-identifying as this or that or whatever, and particularly when it comes to gender, it's a really uh, hot button topic. And, um, and so we're going to even look a little bit at that in terms of what the scriptures uh, tell us. So Matthew chapter 16, this is our launching place. Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 to 17. Um, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. The title of the message here is, Who do you say that I am? And in this passage, Jesus is asking what they say, who they say he is. And I just kind of want to flip it the other way around and just say, who, who does God say that we are? Who do you, God, say that I am? We're going to explore that. So what is identity? Well, identity, based on contemporary definitions, is essentially how you define yourself. And there are a whole host of problems with a definition like that, how you define yourself. And we don't have time to get into all of that. Um, but identity at its core isn't just how you define yourself, but it actually is who you are. Who you are. So those of you who have flown, uh, you'll recall that when you get to the gate, they'll remind you that you need to have your government-issued photo ID that isn't expired with you. So then you go uh, to board the plane, you have your boarding pass, you look at your driver's or your passport um, or whatever else you might have, uh, and then they compare it. They look, okay, is this name matching this name? And is this face matching this face? Yes, okay, this all goes hand in hand. They're looking at your ID, your identification. They are identifying you. 
um, confirming your identity, your name, uh, a few other details are on your uh, government ID as well. So uh, these things that identify you, there are a lot of things that can help identify who you are. And actually, some things that identify who you are, they naturally change over time, like your age. Uh, some things, they don't necessarily naturally change, but you can change them, such as your address. And there are some things that just don't change, like your birth date. You can't change that. Um, and we're going to look at uh, not all these different categories, but we're going to look at really the, the foundations, the core of what our identity is based on and some of the unchanging principles that the scriptures tell us. Uh, I have a number of principles I want to share, but uh, before I get to that, I just want to let you know I'm going to be talking quite a bit about relationships with fathers. And I realize that not everyone has had a perfect relationship with their father. In fact, none of us have had a perfect relationship with a father because no earthly fathers are perfect. But fathers have been established by God. And because he's established that rule, just like he's established mothers, we do honor that rule. Honor your father and your mother. Um, now, again, none of us are perfect. And I'm reminded of that on a regular basis with my children. Um, that I am not the perfect father. I don't know how many times I've gone to bed just thinking, oh God, help me to be a better father. Uh, recognizing my weaknesses. <clears throat> but even though we're not perfect, we are meant to play a role in representing the fatherhood of God, which is a reason why we honor them. And it is an important position, even if it's not always filled properly. So in a similar way, we honor the institution of marriage because God has established marriage even though it's regularly abused, even though it's not fulfilled the way it's meant to be fulfilled, we honor the role of fathers because God has established that in the way that he set up humanity, even though many fathers don't necessarily fill that role appropriately. So we may have some wounds, we may have some issues that we need to work through, but when it comes to that, I need to recognize in myself that my faults are not my father's fault. My faults are my faults, and I need to deal with those. Sometimes we might think, you know, if, if only I had the perfect father, if I had the perfect father, things would be a-okay. Now, if we had the perfect father, that would be great. But Isaiah 1 verse 2, God is speaking, and he says, I raised up children, but they rebelled against me. They had the perfect father, the perfect father, and they still rebelled against him. Our issues, we need to own our issues, even if everybody around us was perfect, we would still have our issues we've got to work through. All right, so um, keeping all of this in mind, as we proceed with these biblical principles, let's also bear in mind that if we belong to the Lord, um, God is our true, eternal, never-ending Father. And that's the perspective that we need to have in this. All right, so first question. What is our identity based on? Well, the world will tell you our, our identity, um, our inner self determines our identity. And our identity is based on what we feel we are. Again, how you define yourself. And, and that can even change uh, from moment to moment or, or over time. But the biblical principle is this. Our identity is established in relationship and is primarily rooted in who your father is. It's reflected naturally. Our very existence comes out of the closest type of relationship 
that exists between a father and a mother. And whether you are a male or a female, an XX or an XY, is determined by your father. It's reflected also in Jesus' life. What was Jesus' identity? So we read about it here in Matthew 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Son of God. His very identity is based on his sonship of God. It's based on who his father is. He's also called um, the son of David. He's called the son of Abraham. He's called the son of Joseph. He's called the son of man. But primarily, he's the son of God. That is the foundation of his identity, the son of God. His identity is based on who his father is. It's confirmed in other scriptures, this principle. So often in the scriptures, we'll read about so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, when they're being identified. And, and it's helpful, especially where there was confusion. So Jesus had two disciples named James. So one of them was James, the son of Zebedee, James, the son of Alphaeus. And this helped to identify who they actually were. Even today, in many of our names, particularly from like Scandinavian countries, um, they end with son. So we have the names Johnson, Jackson, Thompson, Peterson, and so on. It's it's originally based on the son of Tom or the son of Peter or the son of John and so on. In the scriptures, genealogies almost always just mention the father. Many times there are mothers mentioned here and there, but the father is really the line that's traced. And so scripturally, our identity, even when we look at Jesus and his identity, our identity is rooted in who our father is. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that our identity is rooted in our father? Number one, it matters because your identity is not established by you. It is established outside of yourself. I would suggest that God himself is the only one who could potentially self-identify. And when he tells Moses, I am who I am, that's who he is. But even God, he's got that relationship within the Trinity that exists. Anyway. Um, the point being that we don't self-identify. We learn our identity in relationship, right? Second, second reason why this matters is that fathers play a key role in establishing and affirming identity. There are a lot of people that struggle with and wrestle with identity issues. And many of those have had unhealthy or absent relationships with their fathers. You know, is it any wonder that the enemy would attack that whole relationship with the Father if our identity is rooted in that? I'm not negating the role of mothers, uh, just pointing to the principle in the scriptures speaking about the, the nature of our identity. The term for orphan is often translated as fatherless, but it's never translated as motherless. Lacking a father is scripturally seen as a significant problem. And so for us as fathers, it's a great privilege and a responsibility for us to help identify and affirm uh, the identity of our children. A third reason why this matters, why, why it matters that our identity is rooted in who our father is, is that our identity is ultimately found in God as our father. We never truly find our identity outside of him. 
John 1 verse 12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1 verse 5 talks about how we've been adopted as his sons. When the disciples asked the Lord to teach them how to pray, he said, this is then how you should pray. Our Father, our Father, we are children of our Father in heaven. That is who our Father is. Our identity is ultimately found in him. We are sons of other people. I am the son of my dad, the son of Peter, and perhaps even my grandparents and so on, however you want, far back you want to go. But ultimately, God is my Father. Ultimately, God is my father. Just like Jesus, he had, you know, son of David, son of Abraham, but ultimately he's the son of God. We're also told that by the spirit, uh, we're given the spirit of sonship, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. You know, my uh, second youngest son, Joshua. So when he started talking, all he would say is, hi, dad, hi, dad, hi, dad, constantly. He would, he would be saying that. And, and it was uh, it was fine, um, very repetitive, but it was fine. So, hi, Josh. Hi. Hi. And he said it so much to the point where he said it in his sleep. I remember going into his room and he's laying there in the crib and, hi, Dad. <laughs> and it's like, my goodness, it's this child. And first thing in the morning, he wakes up and, and uh, we're in another room and first thing he hears, hi, Dad. And uh, he's ready for the day. And, you know, I I feel like that was really reflective, I I think, in in a way of the spirit of sonship by which we cry out, Abba, Father, in the the sense that constantly just calling out to him, Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. Not because we necessarily need anything in the moment, but because he's our Father. He's our Father. And there's so much value in that connection and that relationship. So our identity is rooted in who our Father is. And obviously, ultimately, God the Father. But this then leads to the next question. Who are you? Well, the world will tell you that your authentic self is manifested when you are free to express the inner urges and desires and feelings that exist within you without any restrictions. Then you are your authentic self. Well, uh, the Bible says something else. And this is biblical principle number two. Your authentic self is manifested when you are the image bearer of your father. It's reflected naturally. We bear children and they look like us. So my children, we've been told on numerous occasions that people know who are the end's children because they look like us, right? And we look like our parents. We look like who gave us life. That's who we look like. It's reflected in Jesus's life as well. So who is Jesus? Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, he's the exact representation of God's being. Colossians 1.15 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And in John chapter 14 verses 6 to 14, he's talking with his disciples and, and um, Philip makes this comment, well, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. And Jesus' response is, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So he is God's perfect image, and this was his true authentic self. It's 
confirmed in other scriptures as well. Genesis 1 verse 26, we read about how God expresses his intention to create man in his image. He said, let's make man in our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that crawls on the ground. Let's make him in our own image. And we all carry that image, even in our fallen state. It's implied in James 3 verse 9. And then you move forward and you come to Genesis chapter 5 and there's a genealogy there. But right at the beginning of the genealogy, verses 1 to 3, it goes back to this idea of God creating Adam in his image and in his likeness. And then it says, and then Adam had a son in his, in his image and his likeness. So even in the natural, as we, as we bear children, as we have children, this is, this is reflective of God creating in his image. It's the same words. This idea of bearing our Father God's image is actually really important to understand the biblical um, perspective of gender identity. And and I think in our gender-confused world, Genesis 1 verse 27 actually helps to bring a lot of clarity. So in Genesis 1 26, he expresses his intention to create man in his image. And then in Genesis 1 27, the very next verse, it says, so God created man in in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, in Hebrew, you have this parallelism uh, literary device that's used, and and it's used in a few different ways. But uh, one way is that you say the same thing using different words. And so those last two phrases of Genesis 1.27, it says, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So him and them, at the end of both of those phrases, correlate. And image and male and female correlate. So this implies that our very maleness and femaleness in and of themselves are actually a foundational component of what it means to be created in God's image. Is it any wonder that the enemy would try to cause confusion in this and skew that image that's meant to be there? We are our true authentic selves when we truly bear the image of God. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that our authentic self is manifested when we bear our Father's image? First of all, it matters because our identity is not confusing. It's clear in the scriptures. It's not something we need to be searching extensively for. We need to look at who God is, who Jesus is, and that's who we're meant to reflect. That's who we're meant to be like. He said, be holy because why? Because I am holy. We do it because he does it. We look like that because he does. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are meant to reflect our Father. That is our true, authentic selves. Again, looking at this whole gender idea, Facebook has at least 71 different gender options. That is confusing. Our God is not a God of confusion. Our identity is not confusing. Secondly, a second reason why it's important, why it matters that our authentic self is manifested when we bear our Father's image, is because we are representatives. We're ambassadors. As his image bearers, Adam and Eve were meant, called, to represent him on the earth. That idea of rule, uh, the relationship, um, the giving of life, and so on. And now in Christ, we are also called his ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 talks about that. 
And ambassadors, they don't represent themselves. They represent the country that they came from or the authority that sent them. And so we represent our Father, and the way that we represent him is being like him. And so we discover who God is, and then we represent him that way. A third reason why it matters that our authentic self is manifested when we bear our Father's image is that we do actually care what other people think. So what I mean is this. Uh, for those of you who are on social media, uh, it's quite possible you've come across somebody posting something like, this is who I am, and I don't care what you think about it. And, you know, as believers, Galatians 1 verse 10 talks about, you know, we aren't here to serve man, we're here to please God. Um, and that's true. That's, that's absolutely true. Um, but the greatest commandment speaks to loving God and loving others, which includes caring about their perspectives on things. Uh, we're told to be careful about um, causing our brother to stumble, right? That means that we actually care about what they think about certain things, right? We do care for them, and our identity actually helps uh, us reflect that caring nature of God for one another. All right, so our identity, our identity is, is based on who our Father is. Our authentic self is that of our Father's image bearer, and this then leads to the next question. So then what is your purpose in life? Well, the world will tell you if there is a purpose, it is to discover your true self, which is based on what makes you happy and feel fulfilled, particularly from a sexual perspective. Scripturally, here's biblical principle number three, your purpose is to be like your father. It's reflected naturally. So we become like our parents, all right? So when you have children, your parents... Um, teach you to be like them. The reason that you speak English is because, well, for the most part, uh, is because your parents spoke English, right? Or whatever your first language is, the reason you speak that is because your parents spoke that. You become like them, right? So as parents, we teach our children how to talk. We teach them how, even how to think. We, treat, uh, we teach them how to treat others. We teach them about work ethic. We are training them and teaching them to become like us. That's what we're trying to do. At least the good parts, anyway. This is also reflected in Jesus' life. So Jesus, of course, he came and he had a credible purpose in redeeming mankind as the Son of God. But John 5, verse 19, it says, The Son can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He did what he saw his Father doing, whatever he saw his Father doing. It's confirmed in other scriptures as well, this, this principle. Romans 8, 29 talks about being conformed into the image of Christ. And this is the goal of the Christian life. Our whole goal is to become like Jesus, who is the exact representation of the Father. In John 8, uh, verses 31 to 47, Jesus is talking to some of the Jews. And he, he, he basically tells them, he says, your father is the devil. And they're like, no, 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 our father is Abraham. And he's like, well okay, uh, if Abraham was your father, you would do what Abraham did because that's how fatherhood works. But he says, rather, you've been trying to murder me and the devil was a murderer from the beginning. So you are reflecting the devil, which means that he's your father. If Abraham was your father, you would do what Abraham did. This is how it works. 
Our whole purpose in life is to become like our Father, to do what He does. So how we live our life speaks to this whole idea of identity and purpose. So why does this matter that our purpose is to be like our Father? Well, number one, it matters because our purpose is to conform, not to be as individual as possible. It's, it's quite popular um, for us to proclaim, you know, be your own self, be an individual, be, don't be like anybody else. But really, scripturally, our whole goal is to become exactly like somebody else, to become like Jesus. John the Baptist, he had it right. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. John 3, verse 30. What the world does not need is more gene. The world needs more Jesus and more of us to pursue becoming like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying diversity doesn't matter. It does matter. First Corinthians 12 in particular, there's other places too, but Paul is writing in the context of the gifts of the Spirit, the importance of diversity and the value of diversity. But the true value of diversity only comes as we are being more and more conformed into the image of Christ. Our goal shouldn't be, how can I be as different as possible? Our goal should be, how can I be as Christ-like as possible? And within that, then the diversity that he's given us can shine because it's, it's through him that the, the diversity comes. Uh, you'll recall in that passage of 1 Corinthians 12, these are the gifts of the Spirit. These aren't gifts that we manufacture. We don't come up with the diversity. He's the one who gives it to us. And I would suggest even when it comes to the Genesis 127 passage uh, regarding male and female and image of God, there's diversity there, male and female. But we only truly reflect that the way it's meant to be reflected as we are becoming more and more like Jesus, as we reflect his image, right? When we start to make that all convoluted and decide that we can decide what our diversity is, it just totally messes it all up. A second reason why it matters that our purpose is to be like our, fa our Father is that if we are actually working to become like Jesus, again, who is the exact image of the Father, we will also be tempted like him. So, uh, um, and, and that, that's based on our identity. We'll be tempted just like he was, uh, right at the core of our identity. You'll recall when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, when the devil came, he tempted him starting with these words, if you are the son of God, right to the core of his identity. He challenged it. And he said, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Because he'd been fasting for like 40 days. And he was hungry. It says there, he was hungry. So if you are the son of God, I, I feel like it, it could almost be said, if you really are the son of God, if this is truly who you really are, you, you deserve this. You should get this, right? Isn't that a temptation that comes our way? If you really are a Christian or if, if you really are a believer, you deserve this, right? You're really hungry. You deserve it. The second temptation, if, if you are the son of God, again, if, if this really is who you are, go throw yourself down from the temple and God will send his angels to catch you. I feel like, you know, that could be understood in, in a way 
uh, of saying, you know, if you really are a child of God, then God should do this for you. And he comes with these temptations. If, if you really are a child of God, then you deserve this, and God should do this for you. And the final one, and well, you know what? Then why don't you just change who your father is and worship me instead, right? We will be tempted. Our identity is going to be attacked. And he's going to, and he's going to say, if you really are, if that's really who you are, then you should get this and God should do this for you. Jesus succeeded in overcoming those temptations where Adam failed. Uh, but we need to be aware that our, um, as we continue to pursue being like Jesus, we'll be tempted in the way, the ways that he was. Okay, so if our purpose is to be like our father, then one last question here. So then what does living out my purpose actually look like? All right, the world will tell you, well, it looks like whatever you want. And don't let anybody stop you and, and affirm other people in doing the same thing. And by same thing, I mean completely different because you have to be your own individual. But the biblical principle, here's biblical principle number four. Your purpose is to multiply. It's reflected naturally. Again, we, we as, as humanity, we have children and we teach them to be like us. And they grow up to be adults and then they have children. And then they grow up to be adults and they have children. And it's been ongoing for many, many, many generations and for thousands of years. It's also reflected in Jesus' life. So <clears throat> he came and he made disciples. He said, come follow me and I will make you. He made disciples. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. We're, we're created new. We're made to be like Jesus. Disciples, their whole purpose is to become like the master. When you read about uh, Jewish rabbis and disciples and how the disciples follow the master, there's even stories of disciples like following the master into the bathroom because everything the master did, they wanted to do exactly that way. That was the heart of a disciple. And the goal of the rabbi was to have these disciples become just like them. And this is what Jesus was doing, making more like him. It's confirmed in other scriptures too. Um, if you go back to Genesis, uh, he told Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 1.28. And this hasn't actually really changed, this whole call. It, it looks so slightly different. But our purpose now is to fill the earth by making disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus speaks about that. That's the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, talks about how the Holy Spirit will come and empower us to be his witnesses all over the world. Make disciples of all the nations. Fill the earth. And that idea of subduing it, I, I see that as the expansion of God's kingdom. And Matthew 6.33 talks about how we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We want his kingdom to come and his will to be done, starting with us and moving out beyond that. And I think it's also uh, important that uh, this, this idea of reproducing is understood to also reproduce those who become spiritual fathers those who are multiplying by spreading the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 4.15, uh, Paul is telling the Corinthians, he says, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. But what's the difference between fathers and teachers? Well, um, 
Teachers communicate information, and that's important. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's one of the offices of the church. Teachers. But fathers give life. And fathers walk with you through life. It's family. We need transformation, not just information. And we need more fathers who make fathers. So why does it matter that our focus is on reproducing? And that's to be our focus. Well, first of all, we can get too distracted. Sometimes we have forgotten what our purpose is. And without intending to press any buttons, unnecessarily, I'm reminded of that passage in Acts 1 verse 8. And where it, um, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But what led to that verse was the disciples asking Jesus a question. So this was asked after Jesus has, had resurrected and the disciples go to him and they say, okay, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're recalling like when, when David was king and Solomon in the glory days of the kingdom. And, oh, it was so good so good. We didn't have these oppressive Romans who, who won't let us practice our religion the way that we want to and who are immoral people and who, who um, arrest radical Jews and, and all of this. And we want, we want good government, good government so we can do kingdom work the way that you've called us to do it. And Jesus's response is, it's none of your business but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's the priority. The spreading of the gospel is the priority of the church. That's what we need to be focused on. Let's not get distracted with all of these other voices and things that are going on. I'm not saying they're not important, but they're not the number one priority. We are called to multiply. That's what our purpose is. All right? Let's make sure we never forget that. And whatever else we're doing, the priority needs to be the multiplication of God's kingdom. Let's not get distracted. Focus on the word and sharing the gospel. Reproducing. Second reason why it matters to focus on reproducing is because we have been given the message of reconciliation. Part of our purpose is carrying the message and the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21 talk about that. So you, you have this message of reconciliation where we are taking it out to a world that's lost and we're, we're encouraging them, exhorting them to be reconciled with who? The Father to be reconciled with the Father so that they can understand their true identity and out of that, their purpose in life. And it comes full circle. And then they do the same thing. This reconciliation with the Father is so, so key. Our identity is based on our Father, who our Father is. This presents us with a clear picture of who we are. And as a result, we work to become more like Him and carry the message of reconciliation with our Heavenly Father to the world so they can then also find their identity in Him, and it keeps going. Now, in all of this, the one question that might remain is, 
how should we understand our relationship with God as our Father? And I'll wrap it up with this. At Jesus' baptism, at that point, he hadn't called any disciples yet. He hadn't done any of his public ministry, hadn't redeemed the world yet. And in fact, we know very little about him prior to that. There's a few things particularly related to his birth. But at his baptism, as he's coming up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven that comes down and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done anything yet in terms of accomplishing his ultimate purpose. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Lord expressed his love and appreciation because this was his Son. Not just because he did something but because it was his son. And if we are in Christ, if we are in Christ, the Lord looks at us and says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Not because you've been able to win so many people to Christ or this or that or whatever. Of course, he loves it when we are um, reflecting who he is. But he loves us because simply we're his children. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. As his children, yes, we need to be walking in the way that he's called us to walk. But he loves us simply because he's our father. So your father establishes your identity. Your authentic self is image bearer of your father. Your purpose is to be like your father. Your purpose is to reproduce. And you're loved simply because you're his child. There's a lot more that could be said about identity and purpose. This just scratches the surface, I realize that. But it's so key for us to understand God is our Father and what comes out of that. And my hope is that this would encourage you to fix your eyes on Him, even find your identity just solidly based on Him and your purpose out of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you are a good, good father. You're a good father. In spite of what others might say, we know you are a good father. And because you are so good, you've established identity and purpose in us that, that fulfills the longing of our souls. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continually uh, grow in our understanding of our identity in you and how you establish that. And then out of that, Lord, that you would empower us as you said you would by your spirit to live out the purpose that you've called us to live. Spreading the gospel, multiplying, making disciples. Lord, you love your church. And Lord, I, I pray your blessing on LCF as they continue to pursue the purposes that you have for them specifically. In Jesus' name, amen.